Good morning, Springbrook. So good to see you. Now, I'll ask you a question. Oh, did you have a question too? Oh, okay. All right. I'll see you afterwards, though. Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus, the greatest show on earth. How many have been to Ringling Brothers? Okay. How many went as a kid to Ringling Brothers? All right. How many was an adult to Ringling Brothers? All right. Yeah, I tell you, nothing like it. The greatest show on earth. And it's interesting that it developed in the Midwest because before TV, radio, Internet, there was nothing here to do. <laughs> so they went and saw circuses, right? So in 1890, uh, the Ringling Brothers themselves, uh, they look like quintuplets. Uh, we've got Alf and Charles and Al, Otto and John. I don't know if they were quintuplets, but they sure look like it. And they started out in Baraboo, Wisconsin. There's a museum up there. And at the same time, there was Barnum and Bailey who were in Delavan, and they had already started. And then in 1919, they came together. And it's been quite a ride. And uh, sadly enough, this day, the last presentation we'll ever see, of Ringling uh, Brothers and Barnum and Bailey Circus. Uh, they are closing down the big tent. In fact, you can watch it tonight at 7 p.m. It's going to be on Facebook, and it's going to be on YouTube. So kids will know what a circus is, you know. <laughs> I think you should have all your kids watch it. <laughs> Look at history. <laughs> 140 years. Can you imagine that? Oh, yeah. It was a big time. It had all the wonderful cast, the clowns, and all the others. Interesting people that you saw there. Of course, you had the uh, tiger tamer, and, uh, and you had the elephant tamer. I'm going to tell you something about my personal life that I really haven't told a lot of people. And I probably, it's because nobody's asked, but, you know, my favorite animal is the elephant. Uh, oh, all right. How many elephants out there? How, all right. Let's get together for a support group. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking, now, why in the world did I, you know, get that elephant on my mind? And certainly the circus. I mean, I remember being down and the Ringling Brothers, uh, you know, uh, these long vehicles, and then the elephants were out there and things like that. But I think it was really a Brookfield Zoo when I got <laughs> a moldorama of an elephant. How many have got a moldorama or ever had a moldorama in, <laughs> in your life? Oh, yeah, that was the best part of the zoo. Hey, let's go, you know, 50 cents, whatever, dollar. And then you see it being poured in the plastic and molded. And it was very, very exciting. But uh, so, so we think of this circus, the greatest, greatest show on earth. Well, today we're going to study a chapter in Daniel that is going to blow your mind. <laughs> and... Put the circus to shame. 
because uh, this is something very unique that happens with Daniel that didn't happen that many times, per se, in the Old Testament. Well, we're getting near the end of our series, Stand in Faith, today. Next week, Stand Firm. We're going to talk about uh, Daniel's three friends who were thrown in the furnace for not worshiping the king. Then we're going to start a new series uh, in June on the book of Ruth. That's uh, a fascinating book, Kinsman, Redeemer, and uh, I think you will really enjoy that. Now, I want to thank Rich for teaching last week because I was officiating at my son's wedding. Uh, thank you. Thank you. It's just so wonderful. Uh, his wonderful wife now is used to be Katie Osteen, and she's as beautiful inside as she is outside, Christ-centered life and a Christ-centered marriage. And it was out at this old schoolhouse last Saturday. Whenever you have a wedding outside, that's pretty risky, <laughs> especially at this time of year. You, just, you don't know what you're going to get. But I tell you, God gave us the most beautiful day. I, I can't, I don't know what I'd do to make it better. Sunny, windy, a little bit. And it was just a wonderful uh, celebration. It's so fun when you get two kids, you know, who are committed to, you know, waiting for marriage. And it's just the way it should be, the way God designed it. And uh, so thank you for your prayers. Let's jump into Daniel 10. Now, remember, it was two weeks ago that we talked about Daniel in the lion's den. And we noticed that he was 85 years old. And, of course, he was put in the lion's den. The angels protected him. And I think this is pretty much in the same year that he retired. That's a good year to retire, 85, right? You think that's the right thing? <laughs> 85 years old. I mean, he had been president over this area in, uh, in Medo-Persia. And so he was a very, very powerful uh, leader. And that was God's plan all along. Now, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a word was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar. Uh, and the word was true. And it was a great conflict, and he understood the word and had understanding of the vision. Now, where did he get this type of skill? Remember in Daniel 1, when they went through that diet challenge, and they came out on top. And at that point, it was said that uh, Daniel was given the skill of seeing visions and interpreting visions. So, in fact, there's four different prophetic visions in Daniel, one being the statue uh, that Nebuchadnezzar uh, saw and dreamed of. Uh, and this is the last part of the book of Daniel. So you've got chapter 10, 11, and 12. 10 is the introduction to the vision. 11 is a vision. And then it closes out uh, in the 12th uh, chapter. So we're just going to study chapter 10 today. But he understood the word. A word was revealed to Daniel. That meant a word from God, a message from God, Logos, was revealed to Daniel, who was named Belshazzar, and the word was true. 
So it's very interesting as you, you study through this passage, uh, there are many references to Daniel actually being involved in the vision and that he was there. He just wanted to really emphasize, hey, this really did happen. And it was a great conflict. And that's, of course, chapter 11. And he understood the word and had understanding the vision. Those are the gifts that God gave him. And those I, Daniel, was mourning for three weeks. I ate no delicacies, no meat or wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all for the full three weeks. Well, what's he doing here? He's fasting, isn't he? As disciples of Jesus Christ, uh, there's spiritual practices that we need to engage us uh, that make us stronger and more mature in Christ. Bible study, prayer, fasting. Uh, so fasting typically is going without, you know, any type of food. There's maybe a water, all you drink, or there's different ways to do it. But the whole idea is to take that time you devoted to eating and turn that over to God. So take a half hour for a lunch hour, well, then you spend that time in prayer. And the idea is that it's focused and intensified prayer during that time. You're praying about a burden in your life, a problem, a child, a resource challenge. And you're praying out to God, say, oh, God, give me wisdom. Show me the way. And, and many times people will fast for other people who are sick or, or in differing struggles. So we'll be talking more about that as we grow in our uh, discipleship journey. But he did this for 21 days. Uh, now, he went without delicacies. I guess living here in the Chicago area, delicacy would be Giordano's pizza. Uh, it would be hard to give up, you know. Uh, nor meat nor wine entered my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all. Now, what's that all about? <laughs> they only had like one type of ointment that they could use. And it always baffles me because I walk into Walmart and I see lines and lines of perfumes and and you get shampoos and conditioners. And they got like ten brands of each one. And back in that day, they were living in a very, very warm culture. And so they didn't have deodorant. <laughs> so they became a little fresh as they went throughout the day. <laughs> but if they wanted to you know, have a party or or be engaged in social interaction, then they would put the ointment on and they would smell more pleasant. Uh, well, Daniel didn't want the ointment because he didn't want any contact with people. And he said, I'll just smell the way I smell. And I'm going to ask God uh, to, to hear me. Uh, so in three weeks, three weeks, and he still hadn't gotten an answer. On the 24th day of the first month, as I was standing on the bank of the great river, that is the Tigris. Now, this is interesting because Babylon, which is in Iraq, uh, they were like 60 miles east of Babylon. So for some reason, God had guided him over to the Tigris River. So he was there on the bank of the Tigris uh, River 
I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like flaming torches, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze, the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude. Now, what are they describing here? Well, what he's describing is what we call a Christophany. I'm going to write that one down and impress your friends. Ah, I knew all about Christophany. <laughs> it's Christophany. And it's a pre-incarnate vision of Jesus Christ. Now, Jesus Christ had not yet been created as a man yet, but in the Christophany, he looks like a man because that's what we can relate to. And uh, it happens throughout Scripture, these different Christophanies, and uh, it's quite overwhelming as we see. So what I want you to do as we go through this is just imagine what he was seeing. I mean, really kind of think about it and, and create it in your own mind. Uh, the 24th day, uh, let's see. I lifted up my eyes and looked, and behold, a man clothed in linen. Now, that speaks of holiness. That speaks of uh, people who live in heaven, uh, people who represent holiness here on earth, the high priests and the angels. and Yeah, a sign of holiness was linen, and that's what they wore. So, of course, he uh, wore linen with a belt of fine gold from Euphaz around his waist. Now, we have no idea about Euphaz. We don't have to worry about that. But with a belt of fine gold, and that spoke of his royalty, that spoke of his power and wealth, as well as his sovereignty, that he was in control. Nothing was happening that he didn't allow to happen. His body was like burl, which was similar to like a topaz jewel. And again, the whole body was it. So it was reflecting all this light. And of course, that's the glory of the Lord. His eyes are flaming torches. And it refers to his omniscience in the fact. And his omnipresence as well. He's everywhere at once. And his omniscience. Uh, his arms and legs like the gleam of burnished bronze. And as we look at Scripture, we see that symbolizes holiness and judgment. The God was a holy God, and he needed to judge those people who had broken his law. And the sound of his words like the sound of a multitude, and you don't see it here in this translation, but he's talking about a multitude of waters. I've been to Niagara Falls. Oh, you got to go there. Yeah, it's a great time. You, know, you get down there on the boat and get your yellow jacket and everything, and then you move in toward the falls. And really more amazing than anything is the sound of the falls. I mean, it looks cool, you know, look at the falls, but it's just a sound that becomes so great and overwhelming. That really kind of catches you up in that moment. And here we see the sound of Christ's words. When he spoke, that's what it sounded like. 
Every, every word that came out of his mouth kind of blew you back. Uh, Daniel 10, 7. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision. But a great trembling fell upon them, and they fled to hide themselves. So these were Daniel's servants and uh, protectors, that type of thing. And, and they couldn't see the vision, but they could sense something was going on, and they didn't think it was good. So they, they, they took off, you know. They tried to find some place to get away from what was happening. They didn't even know what was happening. So I was left alone and saw this great vision, and no strength was left in me. That's a very common experience for someone who sees Christophany or maybe an angel, whatever. I mean, it's just like so overwhelming. It's so out of this world spectacular. Your strength drains from you. My radiant appearance, talking about probably his face, was fearfully changed. You look like a ghost now, right? That's what you'd look like because you were fearful. And I retained no strength. So again, he keeps going back to this idea, I have no strength. And I ever had that situation, maybe just ran a marathon or something, and, and you, just at the end, you lie down. I have no strength left in my body. Or maybe you're watching something on TV. You can't find the remote, and you have to get up and change your channel yourself. You come back. There's no strength left in my body. Okay? We all have different, you know, <laughs> thresholds. But the point is, is that he is zapped. He, he can't even think. He's so tired. Then I heard the sound of his words. And as I heard the sound of his words, I fell on my face in deep sleep with my face to the ground. So he loses it all together. He just falls probably in the sand there and it gets in his mouth and he, I mean, he's a deep sleep. Because the strength is so much drained, <laughs> his body goes into recovery mode at this particular purpose. It's interesting to look at Revelation chapter 1 where we see another Christophany. Uh, you might want to read Revelation 1. And it's almost identical to this Christophany, except the hair is different. I don't know what that means. But <laughs> it's almost identical. Because, wow, no, that was after he, of course, had been here on earth. And behold, a hand touched me and set me trembling on my hands and knees. The main point that I want to draw from this passage, not necessarily the vision, because the vision is really found in chapter 11. The point is, is that uh, we can so easily run out of strength. We can so easily run out of resolve. We can... So easily run out of motivation. We can become frustrated to the point that you don't see, why should I go on in this relationship? Why should I go on in this job? My life just seems to be stalled out. And I really don't have a great motivation to do anything but sleep. 
And some have been there, right? And then you're suffering through an illness and you're just laid out because of it. But see what the angel does? A hand touched me. And as soon as he touched him and set me trembling on my hands and knees. So before, he wasn't going anywhere. He had no strength at all. But as the hand touched him, he was able to get up on his hands and his knees. Uh, I believe this is the angel. Uh, again, there was a vision of Christ that the angel had come uh, to talk to him and help him translate all these things. Uh, the power of touch. This is interesting. Keltner was one of the co-authors for a study that looked at celebratory touches of pro basketball players, including fist bumps, high fives, chest bumps, leaping shoulder bumps, chest punches, head slaps, head grabs, low fives, high tens, full hugs and half hugs, and the team huddles. Did they miss anything? I'm not sure. You know? And you know what they found? Which team did better? The team that had a lot of encouraging touches? Do you think they did better? Well, of course they did. There is an incredible uh, power in touch. Now, we've seen studies with babies who weren't touched for a long period of time. And, yeah, they just weren't the same in relationships. That's why that first five years uh, with mom especially... And touching the baby is so critical uh, for the foundation of his life. And so we see that, that we need to continue to touch people. Not strangers, but uh, people that you know and love. <laughs> well, what's that guy doing, man? It's freaking me out. Hey, I am just trying to give power to people here. Okay? Is that, is that okay if I just can't touch them on the shoulders? Yes, it's not okay. But, but really, I mean, parents especially, you need to continue to touch your children, especially when they reach the teen years. Sometimes they feel like, I, I don't feel comfortable with that. Well, I can understand that, but you still, you still need it. Your daughter needs that hug. You're starving her because she should be getting her touch and affection from you. She doesn't get there, maybe someplace else. And wives and husbands, you need to touch each other. You need to, again, uh, hug each other at least eight times a day, right? That's what we said. Yeah, that's a lot of touch. And sometimes, I know I've gone through a whole day without touching Lori, and it's just like it's not on my screen. But it has to be on my screen if I'm going to feed her emotionally, you know, she needs to hug me, and I hug her, and all that kind of stuff. and Or just, you know, ruffle. Like with your kids, ruffle their hair, wrestle with them, that type of thing. There's something God has designed into the power of touch that makes quite a difference. Daniel 10:11, And he said to me, O Daniel, man greatly love. Don't you love that? I mean, here we... You know, you have the transcendence of God, the fact that He is holy, He's almighty, I'm the president, I'm omniscient, uh, all those things. And it's like, you know, we look at them and we go, wow, I'm, I'm afraid. <laughs> but then we have the imminence of God, which we usually like to focus on, that God loves us and that uh, 
uh, he walks through life with us and we can pray to him at any moment and uh, discern from the Holy Spirit truths from the word. So you've got to balance that out, okay? So this is intimacy. So Daniel had just about died after this vision, right? I mean, he was close to it, I think. And what did the first thing the angel said to him? Oh, Daniel, man greatly loved. Do you feel greatly loved by God? That's interesting. You really have to think about it. What I encourage you to do is get on the Internet, Google, whatever, and type in Bible verses on the love of God. You'll get a whole string of them. And then spend whatever time you have necessary, 15 minutes, and just read through those verses one by one. And after each one, ask, ask God, what does that teach me about your love? What does that teach me about your love? And some of you need to be saturated in God's love because you haven't felt it for so long. And just been going to church and doing different things and trying to stay close. But you don't really have an emotional connection with God. And that's why we talk about our time alone with God. It's not there to get all your prayers answered. The purpose, the primary purpose, is to spend time with God. In order to do that, you have to have the Scripture in front of you. And you... You just need to open your mind to the Lord and say, what do you want me to learn from this passage? And people sometimes have said, you know, he speaks to them. I've never had that experience. But certainly uh, he's given me thoughts about those passages that I would have never had. And, and, And when your relationship with Christ becomes dynamic like that, then you say, wow, this is really cool. I mean, if you're just going through it, you know, whatever. But no, if you stop long enough, and I really believe that reflection is one of the most powerful. Reflection on Scripture is one of the most powerful ways to feel the love of God and understand who He is. So try that out. Get some Bible verses on love. And and if you really feel kind of like God is angry at you or God isn't pleased, uh, with you, that you failed God, whatever it might be, God loves you. So you're looking at these verses and you're saying, I can't feel that. Well, keep on reading. Keep letting the Holy Spirit work deep into your soul. That's a problem. We're just too busy. We're just too busy to build a strong relationship with God. And we think as long as we keep moving and we're doing things that life is moving forward when really the most important thing is for us to stop and take time to be in the presence of God. That's how we grow as disciples. Understanding the words that I speak to you and stand upright. So he's getting a little more power here, right? For now I have been sent to you. And when he had spoken this word to me, I stood up trembling. So... You know, Daniel's maybe about 50%. <laughs> and he's still shaken because that vision was something else. Uh, Daniel 10 and 12, then he said to me, Fear not, Daniel. There you go. 
any time you see an angelic being uh, meeting uh, one of us, <laughs> we're scared to death <laughs> because it's just so much different than anything we've ever experienced. It's out of this world, right? So usually angels start out, fear not, you know, chill, it's okay, I'm not going to kill you, I love you, <laughs> I want to help you. Fear not, Daniel, for, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before your God, your words have been heard, and I have come because of your words. So the angel saying to him, remember when you made that request 21 days ago? Well, God heard it right away. And, of course, God knows what we're going to ask for. But he heard it right away, and he takes it seriously. He listens to us. And, and so, so many of us get so frustrated in prayer because we pray and we pray and, you know, we get more discouraged because nothing's happening. We pray and we pray and we pray. It's like nothing's ever going to happen. And what you need to realize that if uh, you're in a healthy relationship with God, not in rebellion, He's listening to you. And He's doing the best. Well, He's doing what He thinks you need. All right? And that's where you really have to trust God, right? Because this doesn't seem right. But again, and in this particular situation, you know, we, we have angels fighting with one another, and they've had... Well, Daniel's had to wait. Now, now uh, we're going to talk about, uh, you know, warfare in the heavens. Uh, again, it's it's hard for people to understand. But I wonder. Okay, here we go. Uh, Ephesians six twelve. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, that is the verse on spiritual warfare. You remember Satan uh, went <laughs> attacked God because he wanted to be God, and, of course, God tossed him out, and he had influenced other angels, so they were tossed out, and they became his demons. That's how it all got set up initially. I mean, they were all his angels before that. So, what happens is, is now we're in this battle, this spiritual battle that we cannot see. It's hard for us to understand. But you see from this verse, they're very organized, aren't they? For we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. I mean, you think of King Jamun and it's like, to deal with him, you know, we're concerned about him. We shouldn't be concerned about him. We should be concerned about what Satan's doing through him. The Holocaust, Satan orchestrated. Anything. Uh, Times Square where that, that car came in, Satan orchestrated that. Any bad thing you see, there's a good chance that Satan or his demons orchestrated it. So the most powerful thing we can do is pray because God will respond to our prayers. And sometimes you have, let's say, a child is in rebellion and he is, you know, just really gone off the edge. And you just keep, keep praying, keep praying, keep praying. Because Satan and his demons want to destroy your children. 
They want them to, to lose sight. And it's so challenging as a parent today in our culture to protect our kids. Man, TV, Internet, other uh, types of things. It really is hard. They went through it you know, with our boys. You know, we got different uh, blockers that would block out porn and things of that nature. And uh, it's just becoming more difficult. So for those of you who are parents, I encourage you to stay on top of your children's lives, which I know many of you do, and really talk to them about the things that they're seeing. Because, again, they go to school every day and they hear about all this stuff, and who knows what somebody shows them. So it, it really takes a lot of energy. I can remember when Lori and I were doing that. Like, oh, <laughs> this is tiring us out. But you, you, you've got to pray for your children. You've got to pray for spiritual uh, protection. So we go back. The prince of the kingdom of Persia. Now, this is talking about a demon. All right? So demons, through their hierarchy that we just talked about, uh, they're assigned to different places. Now, we don't know all the details, but there is a hierarchy. And here we see the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 20 one days. So, what's happening here? You're having uh, a supernatural battle going on. Uh, we think maybe it's probably Gabriel that's talked about here. So, so Gabriel is going against the prince of the kingdom of Persian, uh, and, and again, not making a lot of progress. But Michael, Michael the archangel, right? One of the chief princes. Now, that's on God's side, right? So there's different levels, princes and whatever particular you know, place God puts you in terms of your responsibility. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me for I was left there with the kings of Persia. So, I mean, it's a fascinating verse to think about. You, you, you see this angel going to Daniel, and he's held up by the prince of Persia, so he calls in for support. <laughs> and, and Michael shows up. <laughs> so he left Michael there. And he went to Daniel. Now, do you think that ever could happen to one of your requests? Sure it could. Yeah. There's a reason many times. And it's a supernatural reason that we'll never know about. But you've got to know about the complexities of this and be aware of them. And came to make you understand what is to happen to your people. So he's talking about the vision that he's doing uh, it's recorded in Daniel 11. For the vision is for the days yet to come. When he had spoken to me according to these words, I turned my face toward the ground and was mute. So, again, he's overwhelmed. And behold, one in the likeness of the children of men touched my lips. And here you see the idea of touch. Touching your lips. Then I opened my mouth. He couldn't speak before, right? He was... He was done for. But but he was open, able to open his mouth. That, oh, my Lord, by reason of the vision, pains have come upon me. And I, pain, I retain no strength. What he's saying is, is the things that I'm experiencing, that I'm seeing, is bringing physical pain to my body. And, and therefore, the energy uh, drops out. How can my Lord's servant talk with my Lord? For no strength remains in me and no breath is left in me. Again, one having the appearance of a man touched me and strengthened 
me. God wants to strengthen you. Every one of you wants to strengthen. And life is just so tiring sometimes. It's just like day after day after day, and we're counting on something to happen, and it doesn't happen. It's like, ah, you know, where's the strength here? Well, friends, the way to tap into the strength of God is through His Word. And again, I know it's hard for people to understand that. And they think, well, you know, I've read the Bible and it just seemed kind of dry or you know, whatever the experience might be. Now, if you're not a Christ follower, if you haven't accepted Christ Jesus as your Savior, which we encourage you to do, not based on your good works, but what Jesus did for you, you're not going to be able to understand it. So you need to become a Christ follower to understand it. But as you read the Word and let it soak into your soul, uh, the Holy Spirit uses it. it he translate, translates it, right? It's like, it's like a double-edged sword that speaks to us. And so when you're out of strength, you go to God. You go to His Scriptures, right? And I really believe the most powerful way that we can feel the love of God is through each other. That's why He created churches. We're supposed to be together, right? So we can strengthen one another. I mean, I just go through my days and have challenges and things of that nature, but you know, God just comes along and, and He gives me insight, understanding, strengthens me. As I said before, Sometimes when I'm getting ready to preach, I'm just like, uh, <laughs> not a lot of strength. Yeah, but as soon as I step out here many times, the Holy Spirit kicks me into gear. And then when I'm done, I'm really tired. <laughs> you know, that's just the way it works. You know, some of you are depressed. Some of you are anxious. You just need to bring that to God. He might not remove it all, but He will strengthen you as you deal with with it. And he said, O man, greatly love, fear not, for peace be with you, be strong, of good courage. And he spoke to me, I was strengthened, and said, Let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. How many have experienced the strength of God in their lives? Huh? Oh, yeah. If you haven't experienced, let us know. Uh, we'll encourage you in that area. But, but, but God wants to give you strength, even when you're going through a very difficult time. And Again, it doesn't look like positive things are ahead. He just continues to pour that grace into our lives. And, and again, this is why it's so important that, that when you're in a church, you be connected to relationships in that church. Small groups, service opportunities, other things. I mean, really the church is all about relationships because we're your support system, right? Uh, again, when... Life kind of falls apart. It's just beautiful to see how small groups gather around a couple or a person, and, and they just love them. And that's Christ loving them. And so we have a very important responsibility to other Christ followers is to love them and encourage them. Then he said, you know why I've come to you, but now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. So he's come to give them the vision. Hasn't done that yet. 
but he's going to fight against him. He has to go back, <laughs> which is just fascinating when you think about it, you know. And, and when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. Oh, we had somebody else come to the party, but he knew that he was coming, right? Hmm. But I will tell you what is inscribed in the book of truth. There is none who contends by my side against these except Daniel, your prince. Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Except Michael, your prince. So you could interpret this in a couple of different ways. One way to look at it is, is that Michael is Daniel's prince that's watching over him. And protecting him. And it's like they have a tag team type of relationship. I really don't know. There's a lot of ways we could go with this. But it's fascinating to think about. Right? You think the angels could kill the zapper guns against these demons. Boom, 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 boom. But there actually is warfare going on. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. And then my life verse is... 2 Corinthians 12, 9. But he said to me, Dan, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, that the power of Christ may rest on me. So you might never feel adequate to what you're called to, but that's okay with God, because then you're humble enough and you're tired enough to say, God, you've got to do this. And he said, that's exactly what I was planning on doing. The question is, have you let Jesus take control of your life? Have you let Jesus take your problems? Are you trying to run it all on your own? Uh, that's not a way to live. Uh, we need to humble ourselves before the Lord and trust in Him. Let's pray together. Dear Father... Thank you for this very exciting passage uh, where we see this uh, Christophany, this uh, image of Christ. And, uh, and also just thank you that Daniel was so honest. He says, I, I don't have any energy left. Because that's the way a lot of people feel about a lot of different issues in their life. And, and we know that you are always there to refill us with power, through your spirit, uh, through prayer, uh, through our relationships with other Christ followers. And we thank you for that. In Christ's name, amen.